0: Hello everyone, welcome back to Blurred Box. I'm Chloe. I'm Pooja, And I'm Sophie. Haven's a bit busy today, so you're stuck with the three of us again. But if you're a new listener, hi, nice to meet you. We're four online students from Stanford University's online high school, and we like to talk about a variety of interesting topics, like world events and our lives in an online school. And we love hearing different perspectives, so we invite guests to take part in our discussions and share their views. Today, we're joined by another special guest. She's another one of our instructors at Stanford OHS and head of our English department, Dr. Zarlengo. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, so, Dr. Zarlango, go ahead and say a few words about yourself to give our audience a sense of who you
1: are and uh, what you do so my work at stanford online high school for the last six years has been a kind of third career you could say um my first having been doing lots of graduate work in comparative literature at columbia university um and then uh, my second being practicing law after a law degree and i'm pulling from both those um those trainings as i teach legal studies and english at the stanford ohs which is um, a terrific community. It's a really great group of students and colleagues, so I feel like I found a real home. What did you do before coming to OHS? So before coming to OHS, I was working as a lawyer in New York City. Um, mm. I worked oh, mostly wow. as a litigator.
0: Oh wow, so how is that like, how different is it coming from that into OHS environment? Because obviously, for those of you who aren't in our school. Everything is usually from home. Instructors do teach from home. A lot of us, we go to school from home or wherever we are since everything's online. Was it like a really big change
1: going from that to what we're doing now? It was a big change that was necessary for me. It was a huge part of why I wanted to take this job because um, in the in the time between when I stopped practicing law and started working here, I had two children. Um, and so I had whole new needs for flexibility and, uh, working as a litigator doesn't provide flexibility. It really wants to be your first priority. Um, and although it was my career, has always been a high priority for me. Um, having become a new mother, um, my my career was at best tied for first place. And so I was looking for a profession in which I could draw on my training, but also um, have some flexibility to give time to my family.
0: Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. I think that's definitely one of the main reasons why OHS also is quite appealing, or I guess online learning is very I guess appealing in that sense to most people, not just the instructors, but also the students, I guess they have more time with family things, they're not taking eight hours at school. But um, <laughs> yeah, with, <laughs> with Dr. Zarlingo's background in law, uh, she is giving us a very helpful insight into what we'd be interested in talking about today. We've talked a lot about affirmative action with you guys in the digital divide in the last few episodes. And so we're taking it back to the role of women, something we talked about in some of our earlier episodes, which you can feel free to check out. With Dr. Zelengo's background in law, it is the year of the US presidential election, and all of these things come together. One of the questions we wanted to ask in relation to the role of women and how it's progressed over the years. Let's start off with, I guess, let's say, Dr. Lango. how do you see the role of women in the world of say, American politics changing since the passing of the 19th Amendment? And I guess before we even go into that, if you don't know what the 19th Amendment is?
2: Um, basically, the 19th Amendment just gave women the right to vote. So that was a huge turning point in um, U.S. history. And um, yeah, it's a great milestone, but it obviously did change the role of women in society. So um, Dr. Zorlingo, since you're you're obviously very um, knowledgeable about this topic as a historian yourself. So do you have a little bit of insight into how that's kind of changed the role of women over time and how that's kind of carried on to today's society?
1: I don't have the grasp on the history of the law that a historian would have, but as a lawyer, somebody trained in the law, I have training in where it sits today. Um, but And so yeah, by way of a, a brief answer to the question, I see, um, women's progress in women's legal rights as being like waves upon a shore, which is to say the tide is rising, but that water s- keeps sinking back um, from time to time. So there are, in my lifetime, I've seen moments of great, um, what I would be happy to style as progress, and then um, lots of backsliding um, as well. Um, so basically the um, I think we're moving, but uh, the challenges shift, and new challenges emerge as we move. Um, but yeah, for so the 19th Amendment, the, um, from a constitutional law perspective, um, as for United States constitutional law, the sort of we, the people that we see um, trumpeted at the front of the Constitution never included women until the 19th Amendment. So women did not have a say, and then there's lots of interesting equal protection law that speaks to the fact that um, that women need uh, special protection um, against discrimination. And it's especially curious in the context of women because unlike racial minorities, um, women do have something like 50% of the vote. So they should be able to command their own protection. And yet, um, even though 19th Amendment was passed, um, discrimination of different sorts continues. And so there are fun tensions between having really, you know, 50% of the voting bloc and yet still experiencing um, discrimination and how to answer for that. So we definitely see more women who are active in politics and government and um, and power um, uh, in America. But, it's, um, but there is, in my experience, in the true sort of corridors of power, there's a real glass ceiling. So um, women in schooling, during school, and just after school, match or outperform men. Um, but then when it comes to a point of true promotion and sort of welcoming uh, to the corridors of power as I'm styling them, there's a true glass ceiling feeling still in my experience
0: sure yeah and the general you know role of women how would you like let's start off with that first of all even before I guess we we did go into like this first nitty gritty and we jumped straight into it to start off with the baseline let's like discuss what the role of women actually entails in itself I'm curious to know like what do you guys think because that varies for a lot of people
2: so traditionally going off of that um if we were go to go back to, like you said, the 1800s, when we talked about the role of women, it was to be um, what they called like in the cult of domesticity, which was like being a mother of the household and like staying inside of the house, um, taking care of the family. And of course, um, as women saw that they were not really inferior to men, even though they were being in some ways suppressed because of the patriarchal society, they started to Push for gender empowerment and gender equality, which are some things that we touched on in previous episodes. But I think now, um, with that and with women being m- more involved in politics and having the ability to be more involved, we can kind of see the idea of women being more of a leader. And even though sometimes I feel like they still hold like the impression of being kind of nicer and a little bit more gentle, even though they might not always be, that's kind of the stereotype that's associated with them. Oh yeah, I do we think that, that,
0: yeah. 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 <laughs> we talked about I, this in a whole other episode that you can check out with Dr. <laughs> Washburn too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I but do
2: I, think definitely the idea of a woman being a leader is not as um, uncommon nowadays, especially with, even in Finland, not only was she the youngest prime minister, she was also um, a woman, which is not to stereotype, but it's also not something that's very common for a prime minister or just a leader of a country in general to be female. I mean, we see that even in the U.S. with um, no one being a female president yet.
3: So, I think we have all of these gender biases that are so prevalent in our society, and it's long stretch from, like, the past, and now it's still inherent in the present. I just, I just want to know, like, what are you guys' thoughts? So, like, why do we still have it? Like, what is the reason? Because, like Dr. Zarengel said, women, like, tend to – sometimes tend to outperform men in school, and they have – they're also more successful in different fields, and they have proven their worth countless, countless times. So why do we still have this? Why is it still prevalent? I was just kind of, like, tossing a question out
2: to this class. Um, I was actually interested in that question, too. And I was kind of asking myself that and um, about to ask Dr. Zarolingo that as well, like what she thinks. But personally, I think that in some ways the media is still portraying, um, especially since kids oftentimes, you know, watch TV and watch commercials. I feel like nowadays it's changing, but still um, the idea of a a man being superior is sometimes still seen in the media in some ways. And even... Um, young kids aren't really taught that there are certain roles that they can be encouraged to go into even if they're female because I know personally when I was growing up for instance I thought that only females could be um, nurses or only females or only males could go into football or play football or hockey because they were considered like manly sports and there were like female occupations so I think in some ways that idea that something is being instilled in children or like or younger generations that doesn't necessarily break the boundaries of stereotypes set by um the roles of women could also be causing um causing the lack of gender equality um still even to this day yeah maybe but that's just
3: a thought i'm just trying to think like why do we still have it maybe like in the past more of the tasks that were available were catered towards physical strength and men are tend to like be biologically stronger than us. It's something that's biological. We can try to change, but it's just inherent. But now as we turn to more of a modern society, a lot of the roles that are available are not dictated by strength, yet we still keep the ideal that men are superior. And we definitely need to change that because like I said, women prove countless and countless of times that they are equal in every regard. Yeah, you're you're definitely right about that.
2: Um, Dr. Zorlingo, do you have any thoughts on the topic of like what's preventing us from actually um, encouraging women or even though they have proven to be um, in some ways superior to men or not even superior, at least
1: equal um, to men, but why do we keep pushing them back? Uh, so, I mean, I guess I have too much to say and not enough at the same time. I can say that a classic example of the kind of job that doesn't require physical strength is lawyering and in my um, legal studies class we just uh, reviewed equal protection rights um, and looked at early cases where um, women thought to have protection against discrimination and one of the early cases was a woman who wanted to practice law and the question was whether um, the bar the state bar association's refusal of, uh, to a woman uh, who wanted to practice law there was a violation of equal protection. And the court thought about it hard and came back and said, of course, this isn't a violation of equal protection. Um, women can't practice law because it would degrade the profession. And it would degrade the profession because we need them at home. Um, our, our future is secured um, by, by women's active role at home and if we if there's no way that they could practice law without dividing their attentions between um between their professions and what they're doing at home and so the profession is just going to go way downhill if they're trying to divide their their energies and i have to say that um looking at um my my peers and my friends um sort of in adulthood as the majority of us have had um, professions but many of us have moved away from professions as we've had kids um, these same tensions remain um, and i feel like they say a lot about the status of women's rights which have um, at many times and sometimes most effectively especially in the case of the equal rights amendment been um, been attacked from within which is to say there are vocal women who Um, speak against women's rights because they think that other rights that women enjoy will be compromised um, by the gaining of some. So for example, rights for widows to um, have special protections, uh, women who didn't have careers but worked as supporters for their husbands and children might be compromised if women and men are held to be on equal footing, if that makes sense. There's a movie coming out called Mrs. America, that speaks to the role of Phyllis Schlesley, um, who men, many would say single-handedly defeated the Equal Rights Amendment on arguments like that. Right, and you talk about all these
0: rights that, um, you know, we have progressed and the law has also improved. But as you said, like, you know, if we look at it, so voting, for example, right, the first one, going back to 19th Amendment, where 50%, right, like, well, you mathematically think that way, 50%, 50%, we have the right to vote, amongst everything that Doctor Zayenko has brought up. So it's quite a good progression there, right? It seems like we've done pretty well. Yet we still have all these things, like Sophie has said, and Puja like has brought up those prevalent tensions and our rights seemingly still being subdued and you know pressed down upon. That we're not going anywhere. It seems like that way, right? I mean, we still have the Me Too movement, for example, and I guess that was one of the topics that um, uh, Sophie, I think as well, was curious about beforehand. But um, all this stuff, like we've, you would think that the law would, by the law coming into place, right? And Dr. Zalango, having your background in that, um, why do you think that isn't the law and how that has progressed aligning parallel to what's happening in society and how things are unfolding in that sense.
1: So the law has changed. We do, we can vote and uh, women can vote. And um, and then it, it's also the case that we have quite robust protection under the Equal Rights Amendment. So even without the, or sorry, without the Equal Rights Amendment, um, so that even without its passage, we have case law that secures um, equal protection rights for women. So we do have protection, but then there's still this lingering question about what that protection should look like. So what kind of plan for women do we want to um, protect with robust rights? The plan to be a supporter of a bread earner and a supporter of children, um, a mother and a wife say, um, or the plan to be a mother and a wife and to have a career, right? There are different plans. And so the, the women in those different camps have often been at odds, which I think has undermine them. I hope I didn't go sideways on your question there, Chloe. Feel free to repose it.
3: No, 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 no worries. We have been talking about, you know, change, but we also been talking about how it's not been enough. So the Me Too movement, when it was introduced two years ago, has certainly been like a pivotal aspect in furthering women's rights. And it's finally putting the problems of like sexual harassment, assault, and misconduct into the open. So What are your thoughts on the movement as a whole with regards to bringing change? Like how much do you think it has impacted the world?
1: Um, That's a good question. And I have to say that as somebody who um, from a very young age like the age of 11 thought really hard about what at the time I was calling women's lib and women's liberation um, and At six, I swear, I dressed as a boy for two years because I was so sick of people telling me that I couldn't do stuff. So I've always wanted to have, to enjoy full freedom. Um, I still have grave concerns about the Me Too movement because of its, um, because of its making essentially legal, coming to legal conclusions, what I see as often legal conclusions. So people lose jobs, people never work again in the field because they've been accused. Um, without um, the accused's capacity to confront the accuser. So there hasn't been the kind of dialogue that reflects due process um, when something so consequential takes place. And so at certain, um, at the height of the Me Too movement, I saw real injustices take place. Um, uh, I I saw people get burned in ways that I, I saw as unfair because what was happening in the newspapers um, wasn't happening in a courtroom where somebody has the right to confront their accuser um, or just the mere accusation alone carried what I thought was too much weight. So with that um, with that caveat, I can say as well that I think it was a wildly overdue moment for all of us because women spoke. They spoke up um, for their rights and their needs, for their, and they, they represented their experiences in ways that um, they had previously been uh, loath to do. And so I have very mixed feelings about Me Too. I feel like yeah. overall, it, it goes back to this wave thing I was talking about before. I feel like that was a great, um, that it represented great progress. And at the same time, um, there was a lot of overreach within it. And then I hope that we slide back to a place where women continue to feel ready to represent what is and isn't acceptable, especially in a professional environment. Um, but I, I do always hope that when such serious accusations are set forth, accusations that change people's lives, that um, who has been accused also has an opportunity to speak.
3: Yeah, I, I actually completely agree with you there. Sometimes um, the Me Too movement has been falsely utilized, which I feel like is such a... Unfortunate thing because it's degrading from the entire movement itself. However, I do believe that the Me too movement was Something that was needed. We needed to get more awareness and we get more women speaking about the things that they were so long afraid to do so and because of this movement and because women are speaking people are now taking like an like a second thought about what they're doing especially men towards women and it's also making women less afraid to speak up and they feel like they have more right to do so and they feel like they can actually talk about it and open up and then also pursue legal action if necessary so yeah
2: definitely because i think the me too movement was important and ensuring everybody that they even young girls or um, women in general that they can speak up and people will listen to them and the idea that they're not afraid to speak up if something goes wrong. And like they're strong and powerful in their own way, even if men may have not seen them as such when they did those actions or if they did those actions um, on women. So I think, like you said, Dr. Zarolingo, there's a fine line between um, something actually happening to you and accusing someone versus maybe you um, having something personal between um, the assaulter, um, if they did assault the woman. Um, and actually kind of falsifying that or in some way just to get back at the person because false accusations can be detrimental to the person who is accused and everybody should have um, a
3: chance to speak
2: on behalf of that accusation.
3: Kind of diverging a bit far from the original, not original topic, but this is our last discussion, but also has some connection since it's talking about current time. So I was just wondering, because it's something that I've, been asking myself so much but so skirts and dresses have often been kind of like a symbol or a form of control and oppression of women in past where many were not allowed to wear trousers and pants, signifying that they could not work so how do you feel about like modern mostly private schools enforcing a uniform that traditionally consists of skirts for the girls like what are your thoughts about that because it's something that i'm generally like really interested about
1: uh, so for me personally, yeah, I, So I like I said, when I was a little girl, I decided to just appear to be a boy so that I could get the things that I wanted, so that people would stop telling me I couldn't do things. And so um, I, for sure, from that mindset, which stays with me, even though I was, I was a little kid, that, that mindset has stayed with me. Yeah, I don't want to be limited and restricted um, based on a quick glance at who I am and an assessment. And so skirts. Um, def- I would have rejected all skirts, obviously, during that time. But then I also, um, as as a professional, when I was working in a white shoe law firm and the uniform was the men all wore ties and um, suits, um, I also felt like that was not me, right? And so I had this whole thing going on with shoes for a while and then definitely skirts and dresses that, however... Um, uh uh, reflected who i was as, as best i could within a kind of staunch and uh and prescribed uh professional environment. so yeah i guess i feel like we should go ahead and wear our skirts and dresses but we should somehow take them back and i'm not sure you can make that kind of choice if you're if it's an enforced uh school uniform so what can i say if i were deciding on dress codes for all schools I definitely would not have required skirts adjust. Yeah,
3: for me it's just like I get that they might give you the option to adjust, but having that standard where you are like insinuated it's like insinuate that you should wear a skirt, that wearing something else is not considered normal. I just feel like that distinction is so outdated and I don't understand like why would you do uniforms whether it's in school or in business that confines women to a certain stereotype it just kind of shows how much of you know like gender biases and just like I- our idea of women have not changed as much as we hope they
0: should Definitely. make a law that changes that so that we don't <laughs> have to wear those kind of uniforms to school that's right and that you like say that too because i think with Pooja, you do ice skating, right? And there is a standard kind of like when you go out into the ice, you wear a certain type of, well, not uniform, but you wear like a a, A costume. Right, exactly. Typically, it's a dress. So typically, it's a dress. Um,
2: That's what most people, most figure skaters wear. I'm not sure if that's That's not really imposed on skaters, at least nowadays, you don't have to wear dresses There are people who wear um, pantsuits, pantsuits, or not pantsuits, sorry, full body suits, um, where it's basically the leggings are attached to the top part. But that's still not common. Most people wear dresses, just because I mean, I personally don't feel like it's imposed on me. I just like wearing dresses. Um, My figure skating dresses, I think they're pretty and they're kind of nice to move around in when I skate and compete. But um, I do think that when a dress code is imposed on a school that's um, or on girls where they have to wear skirts or they have to wear dresses, it almost in a sense limits their view because when boys wear pants, they can kind of move around more, right? Or like when girls wear pants, they can move around more. And A lot of times, say, if you go out to recess and you're wearing a skirt or you're wearing a dress, you're not going to be playing sports. You're going to be like maybe talking with your friends or other girls. You're not going to be encouraged to play sports because you're wearing a dress and a skirt and that's not suitable for playing outside. So in some ways, that even limits um, the mindset of a girl and what they can play and what they can be involved in at school or outside of school.
0: With tennis, it's... Thought of, I guess when you look at it, right? It's supposed to be a sportsman kind of sport. It's a gentleman's kind of sport. At least that's what I've heard. I can tell you, it's like a gladiator's game, so it's not the same. But you know, in the same way, we are kind of standard to wear. Like a girl wears a skirt, a tennis skirt. Um, They look very pretty, right? We wear like a visor and a tank top, or like you wear a tennis dress. In the same way i can uh, like uh i can relate to dr zarlango in the sense when i started playing the sport i felt very because i wanted to win as well i felt like for some reason i had an opposition to wearing the skirts and all that and from eight years old dr zarlango i was the exact same where i would refuse to wear any very feminine kind of clothing not just in my tennis wear but it made it even more so in my feeling of feeling feminine and that would kind of make me look too feminine that I I would um, like lose or I had like if to me it felt like a battlefield armor kind of thing that I wear on court but that would kind of like transition slowly and seep into my everyday life and I started wearing like boys t-shirts I'd like only wear men's t-shirts throughout my life from like eight to 13 years old so it was like a miracle to my mother when I started wearing like actual uh, clothes from the girl section but it felt like I was too feminine in that sense, because I felt like, you know, the world would look at me in that way. And I wanted to feel strong and tough and have this somewhat masculine like energy. So people wouldn't mess with me. And I I would like carry that same energy on court. But obviously, you know, the way that we've been talking about this, it doesn't have to be that way. But it does and we've obviously all felt that and within Dr. Zalango's experience mine but then in the same way now Pooja has also kind of like mentioned that it feels pretty and I want to wear it then do so right but that's at least in my aspect I've obviously grown from that but that does carry over from uniform in like middle school and prep school to even in Dr. Zalango your law firm where men are expected to wear suits and whatnot, but then women have their own kind of dress code.
2: Um, I definitely see what you're saying about um, other sports. I mean, for figure skating, it's more geared towards the feminine side of it. Not that boys don't participate in figure skating, but it was originally more of a female sport, so to speak. Um, So it was definitely geared towards more um, of the feminine aspect of it. Pretty lines, artistry, um, the dresses, the costume, sparkles, Um, but for tennis, (laughs) I see where you're going with that because not all girls want to be in a short skirt and a tank top. They, um, they want to be athletic in their own way and they don't feel like athleticism for females should be in that outfit or in that they, they should be able to wear pants and a shirt like you said you wanted to wear when you were eight or younger, Um, Or if they do want to wear a skirt and a tank top, then that's perfectly fine. But there shouldn't be this sort of standard that girls have to mold to or like in order to play the sport.
3: Exactly, Pooja. I completely agree with everyone um, on their points. Like when I was younger, I would purposely avoid girls' toys like dolls. I would purposely dress up in boys' clothing. I would avoid like the colors pink. I would just avoid anything that – made me more feminine because I felt like I was expected to do so. And I just didn't want, I always wanted to break the norms. I wanted to be my own person. And I think that's why I also avoided sports like dance, uh, gymnastics, anything like volleyball. And I chose soccer as my sport. And I love soccer so much. But I also just start wondering, like, if I didn't have that pressure to – you know, be a different way. Like, would I have liked to wear dresses more? Would I have liked to play with dolls? Would I have liked to do another sport like dance? Because honestly, just thinking back on it, I always wanted to do dance as well. And, you know, I just want it to be in an environment where girls can just choose. They don't have to feel like they have to go one way or another to find their identity. And that's why I feel like drawing back to the uniforms, it's, like, just limiting. It's just one more thing that's here that's prevalent in our society that's limiting women's choices yeah which
1: i'd just add that that sword cuts both ways so i mean what about the boys who want to wear makeup what about the boys who want to i mean let's face it on a really hot summer day there's nothing like a dress but um i don't see why we should be the only ones who get to enjoy them
3: Exactly.
1: Yeah.
2: There shouldn't be limits on either end. This was a really good discussion. And Dr. Zarlingo, we've started doing a box segment, um, I think starting our third episode where we ask our guest um, about the top related to the topic, what something's inside of the box and something outside of the box. So inside of the box for this segment, um, I was wanting you to think of some words that you would associate with what's commonly seen as the role of women in society, which we've kind of touched on. Um, So kind of like the stereotypes of women in society and then outside of the box, um, words that you would associate with the roles of women today. So maybe like the more positive side of how the role of women has changed
1: over time. So I think I'm following your drift when I say that inside the box um, we have, women choosing between well women choosing what their public and professional selves will be on the basis of their choices for one or another domestic reality outside the box would be a place where women neither try and do everything at once which is impossible (laughs) being Wives and mothers and professionals and students all at the same time, uh, or um, or not seeing them not holding themselves in high regard. Basically, I'd like women to I'd like to see a place, see a day when women um, freely can choose what role they'll take professionally and domestically. Um, without feeling like at the same time, they're shutting down one or the other. I haven't said that very well. Um, I'm just I'm putting together my thoughts as I speak and I can try and frame it better, but does that make sense?
0: No, oh, yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, what are some, I guess, that would come to mind now that you've gone from your role in law to your role in education? Does that, has that changed anything for you or have you seen anything that, cha- that might change that for you?
1: Yeah, so currently uh, my current job is one where I just, I don't, I I do not feel um, the pressures of sexism like I did when I was practicing law. I just don't, they're just, it's uh, that those pressures are missing in a great and wonderful and liberating way they are missing. And so you know I don't feel like I have to dress one or another way when I go to work, I don't feel like being a woman is a problem. It took me about a year and a half um, at this job before I started openly talking about my children and my domestic life when I was at work because I was used to completely segregating the two um, because it was compromising for me professionally to have conversation about the fact that it was my son's birthday and I wanted to leave earlier The like it's not like that now. So, um, So Stanford is an institution that's committed um, to prevent discrimination and is ready to act on that. It's not just, um, superficial policy. And so that's part of it. And then the OHS itself is filled with people who have real understanding, um, and empathy for, for all kinds of different, um, genders and sexes. So it's, uh, like they, they, they take it as, as broadly as it should be taken. So there's, there's high, high contrast, um, but practicing as a lawyer, um, it was very different. So it was, um, I, was, I, I was very careful to keep my domestic and professional worlds apart, um, even when my reality was that they were, uh, were synchronous demands.
0: Yeah, that's really, really nice to hear. And I'm really happy that you're in a place where you are now, where you don't have those pressures and that you're comfortable in where you are now which is I guess the most important, and I'm really happy for you in that sense. Um, I do wonder though, um, there is that stereotype that Sophie has brought up before, right, that women have kind of been subjected to certain jobs as well, aside from the skirts and the dresses that are quite prevalent, that women usually are like, they go into nurses, right? Or if a guy goes into it's like a guy nurse, like what are you doing kind of thing? but then women are kind of like, you know, usually they're like the educators as the teachers because usually they have kind of like somewhat been that role since like the, this 18th century of like staying at home, taking care of the kids at home and teaching them as well to a certain extent, hence why we kind of have those stereotypes. But then roles where women go into like law or li- women become doctors is, has previously been proud of on, That, I guess, is still kind of the somewhat prevailing issues and tensions that we talked about earlier, I guess, is what I'm trying to say.
1: The medical profession's doing better, but with the law, um, women are, 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 they keep pace. Women and men um, perform similarly throughout law school and for three to seven years after law school. And then it falls off and looks a lot like the, the proportions, the ratios we see, say, in the, in the Federal Congress. So there are women there but there are many, many fewer.
2: Yeah, definitely the ratio of men to women that I see in politics is um, much larger than like when I ask my friends what profession they want to go to, go into a lot of them say um, like medicine or STEM fields. So I would say, and not many of them say politics, which is interesting. And maybe that's just like my personal friend group. But from that, I get that um, more Females and girls are still inclined to be in the STEM field, but still not as much in politics, which I find interesting.
0: No, yeah, I think we touched upon a lot of that stuff that really well. And thank you so much, Dr. Zarlingo, for sharing your experiences and for sharing a lot of the stuff that you've kind of had to um, go through and your views on all of this we really appreciate that it's been really insightful one thing that we've been kind of like interested in Aussie, like the last few people we've come on is kind of getting their advice on certain fields that their expertise is in Um, in our particular discussion what advice would you might give to women struggling or women who want to continue pursuing either in law or in education, or vice versa, what might be one piece of advice that you'd want to give to them, if
1: any? I guess just um, keep in mind that it's a great big world, um, and so, and then there, there are environments where truly um, your voice can't be heard, and won't be heard, and it's worth speaking up, and it's worth pushing back when that happens, but it's also worth keeping in mind that there are other jobs, <laughs> that there are other environments and that, um, and that it's a great big uh, zone of possibility out there. And so um, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like the serenity prayer, like get good at identifying the battles that you can win, the battles you can't win <laughs> and, uh, and feel at peace about walking away from the ones that you can't win. And also about speaking up, um, even if you can't win the battle. Really nice piece of advice. And I think a lot of younger girls
0: hearing that would definitely be very encouraged by that. And thank you guys for listening to Blurred Box with Chloe, Pooja, and Sophie today. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Box. we release episodes every Saturday.
2: We'd love to hear your feedback, suggestions, and questions, which you can email to blurredbox88 at gmail.com. And if you enjoy listening to our podcast and want to stay up to date on our next podcast, you can follow us on Instagram or
0: Twitter at Blurredbox for the latest updates. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.